KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. This is the Rundown, Philadelphia's local news podcast. I'm Jay Scott Smith here with Sabrina Boyd Circa and Brian Seltzer. It's January 4th, 2022, which I will point out because this conversation might sound like it's something from either 2020 or 2021. Hopefully we won't be talking about this in 2023. It's the latest COVID surge, and many schools in the Philadelphia area are turning to virtual learning again. It's deja vu all over again, Jay. We kind of knew that this was a possibility. Schools were saying that virtual is now an option if COVID surges again. Here we are. It is surging. And there's still, of course, lots of debate about masks or virtual or mostly how to deal with staffing shortages in schools, both in the city and in the suburbs. I really feel like we're arriving at the next big crossroads of learning how to live with a pandemic and trying to get a better sense of what's the most sensible, safe solution for us to do more, cope with, and live with this virus and all of its different permutations. And certainly what's going on in schools right now and how to manage that situation falls right under that umbrella. And we're going to try to get a picture of what's happening in these schools in the city of Philadelphia, the Philadelphia suburbs, even a little bit of what's happening in New Jersey as well, and what learning could look like over the next few weeks and few months. But first, let's get to a rundown of today's headlines. And we start our headlines with a really tough day out there. It was tough in the streets if you were driving pretty much in South Jersey or in Delaware yesterday after that massive snowstorm. Now, while we saw next to nothing here in the city of Philadelphia. It was basically a half hour of snow, and then it just got really cold. South Jersey, down the shore, got absolutely rocked by that snowstorm. The first major snowstorm, there were parts of Delaware and parts of South Jersey that actually saw a foot or more of snow. And KYW's Mike Doherty was out in South Jersey this morning, and here's some of the things that he saw. The drive down the AC Expressway was a breeze. I was going 65, and minivans were zipping right past me. And then we hit the Egg Harbor Toll Plaza. Oh, what a mess. The express lanes for Easy Pass users were closed, so everybody had to go through the plaza itself, which had an accident right out in front of it. The plaza was pretty treacherous and slippery, and you had to go real slow just in case the person in front of you stopped to pay the toll. Outside of the AC Airport, I asked Katie about her drive this morning. I don't know if they've tried to plow it or not. There's really no salt or anything on the on the ground, so it's slow going. You pretty much have to get in where you fit in was what it sounds like. And it was like I said, it wasn't just in New Jersey either. KWW's Tim Jimenez talked to a driver who pulled over on the AC Expressway and was considering getting a hotel. She's from Delaware. I wasn't sliding, but it was everybody else sliding, I think, that scared me. This whole thing just sounds pretty scary out there. Yeah, it does. You know, I heard something a while back about we're always talking about staffing shortages, right? I think that applies to the streets departments, too. And are there enough people to plow these roads and treat them the way they need to? And Steve Sosna says that there's another potential storm coming Thursday night into Friday. So general warning. I don't know where the next this next one is going to hit, but be careful out there. You know, there are a lot of reasons to work from home. Maybe snow (laughs) is another one. All I can say, guys, is that at least it was not in Virginia, where people just south of Washington, D.C. were stranded for 
almost a full day on 95 after a tractor trailer jackknifed out there. I mean, just talk about an unimaginable situation where you're essentially stuck in your car. You have to ration your gas, whatever food you have, to stay warm when temperatures are dipping under the 20s. Uh, Tim Kaine, the senator from Virginia, former vice presidential candidate, he was one of the people stuck in traffic for 20 hours. Just absolutely crazy because of the snow making it impassable and then a tractor trailer that overturned. It was wild. That's pretty startling to even have heard about that sort of thing. It's been, I mean, if we're talking about winter weather, at least it gives us a moment to not talk about the pandemic, but there is some good news on the COVID front as it appears, at least according to data from scientists, that maybe this current surge of Omicron might actually be coming to an end. Yes, good news. And, you know, nothing is certain, so it doesn't mean that we can let loose and take off our masks yet, but there is data out there. Dr. Amish Adalja at Johns Hopkins University explains this. Two to three weeks seems to be what it takes for it to peak and then to rapidly decline. Maybe because not not because it's infecting everyone, but because it's infecting those people who are most susceptible to get infected, those people that are out there, and then everybody else starts to change their behavior, and then it collapses. It makes sense. That's why things come in waves, right? It goes through who it can go through, and then there's no place else for it to go. And we are just about at that peak. A new model from Columbia University suggests that it could come about next week. So that does mean be careful next week if that's going to be the peak, but it might be downhill from there. I know that scientists in South Africa, where this variant was first kind of discovered at the end of November, said that their peak might have just passed in the last few days. So That seems to track just about where we are now with this and mentioning that a lot of the people who are susceptible to it are either the immunocompromised or those who have not been vaccinated against the virus. And that's starting to have worked its way through a little bit more. Got to shout out our social media graphic design wizard video production ace, Holly Stevens, who if you go to our KYW social feeds, you can see a graphic that she helped design and put together about cases and hospitalization in Philadelphia. It's a great visual, so check that out if you have not seen it yet about the effect that Omicron is having in the area. But we always always have to shout out Holly when we can. She's the person behind our social videos, all that good stuff, and all-around terrific human being. She's also an amazing photographer, too. She does, like, so many different things. And, of course, Holly, I know you're probably listening. You're awesome. Thank you, so, you Holly. Thank you so much for all the work you're doing. And we just talked about this ongoing, never-ending pandemic. Well, coming up, we're going to talk with our education reporter, Mike DiNardo, as well as KYW Suburban Bureau Chief Jim Melward, to get a better understanding of the situation in schools right now as they're responding to this COVID surge, both in the city and in the suburbs, and even a little bit in New Jersey as well. Stay with us. I'm Jay Scott Smith, along with Sabrina Boyd-Circa and Brian Seltzer, and you're listening to The Rundown. Now, welcome back to The Rundown. I'm Jay Scott Smith, along with Sabrina Boyd-Circa and Brian Seltzer. And surprise, we're back to virtual learning again. And not too long ago, the plan was for students to return to classes this week after their collective winter breaks. But now, because of COVID, this whole thing's a mess. And here to tell you what's happening in both the city of Philadelphia as well as the suburbs, we welcome in and say Happy New Year to KYW News Radio's education reporter, Mike DiNardo. He covers the Philadelphia School District, as well as our Suburban Bureau Chief, Jim Melward. Gentlemen, thanks for joining us and welcome back to The Rundown. All right, Jay. Good to be here. Good to have you guys here. So, Mike, I'll start with you. 
it looks like there's a real good chance that the Philadelphia school district, at least parents in the Philadelphia school district, woke up to find out that their kid's school went virtual or maybe they missed the memo altogether. So what's been going on behind the scenes the last 24 hours where would it be too out of line to call this a chaotic situation considering the twists and turns of how this whole thing has gone down? Well, I don't know if it rises to the level of chaotic, but it certainly isn't the ideal situation for the school district and not the ideal situation for one third of the parents and guardians in the school district who, as you mentioned, are woke up to find out that their schools were going virtual because of staffing issues because of COVID. The superintendent, William Height, uh, believes that in-person learning is best for students. Uh, The city health department has backed up the school district supporting that decision, that in-person education is the best and that in-school transmission uh, is low compared to out in the wild. The problem is that over the holidays, families got together, that COVID spread, and we've seen the numbers just explode. And that left many schools without enough staff to hold in-person classes. The PFT, uh, the Philadelphia Teachers Union, called for a week of virtual as they came back from the break to allow for more mitigation in schools. But yesterday, the school district stood by its plan to reopen in person. And what happened was more individual schools found that they were having uh, staffers who were uh, affected by COVID calling out. uh, And by the end of the day, by 7.30 last night, 77 of those schools, and then later in the, the night, 81 of those schools, had to go virtual because they just didn't have the staff uh, in place to teach those students. Now, virtual schools still need teachers. So how is this like helping out in terms of staffing? We don't have specific numbers yet, uh, but the teachers uh, who are healthy and teaching are going to their classrooms. They're going into the building and teaching uh, virtually by way of the, the internet and the kids at home with their Chromebooks. When you look at just the sheer numbers, the PFT took a member survey over the holiday break. They reported that 1,100 of their members, mostly teachers, had COVID over the break. Now, I don't know where they were in the timeline, whether they were at the end of whatever quarantine period they were in or not. Also, 2,000 of those teachers reported COVID incidents in their households. So uh, you have 1,100 staffers with having COVID over the break and others who were maybe caring for someone in their household who had COVID and, and couldn't come in. We did speak with the school district and did a story on this. I talked with Monica Lewis, the communications director for the school district. I have said throughout the course, and the district has said, I should say, throughout the course of the pandemic, that patience and flexibility were going to be the two key things that people would need to be in terms of how we deal with this pandemic. And um, while we have said all along that we would want to have in-person learning when we resumed school on January 4th, we definitely could have been a little bit more direct and sane, but we do want people to be patient because things can change. We do not control the surge. We have not controlled the surge and we just have to kind of, you know, go with what we have and how things are happening. She did hint that people would need to be flexible and she acknowledged that some of the schools 
would have issues reopening over to the break. But Jay, maybe the administration didn't realize how widespread of an issue it would be because they had to make this announcement again at 7.30 last night and then amend it at 11.30 last night. Yeah, they had been pretty strident about we're returning to classes and and the story that you referenced there that we had on our air yesterday was that it was still going to happen and they would have to be flexible. And things certainly changed. And it's not just a city thing, obviously. And Jim, that brings us over to your side in the suburbs. What's happening out in the suburban districts as they're continuing to deal with COVID and particularly this Omicron variant? Yeah, there's an effort to remain in person. And many districts, many schools have have been able to do that. One of the conversations has been uh, a masking, uh, unlike Philadelphia, uh, following Pennsylvania's Supreme Court decision. Many districts uh, went mask optional. Some districts were scheduled to go. You know, there, there are some schools that have, like Mike said, with the, the staffing issues that have had to uh, you know, make adjustments, whether it was, was in, in some cases just flat out canceling school, some schools returning to uh, masks uh, required. It's across the board and, and it's, it's so varied. You know, some districts are, are not uh, overly affected. You know, other districts are just, you know, clobbered by, by the, the, the lack of staff. Now, I know that there are some, I guess there are changes that have been occurring in Montgomery County with their public health protocols and at a meeting in Perkyoman Valley, a school nurse explained some of her concerns about some of the changes that they've seen in Montgomery County over this virus. We would identify a student. We would contact their parent or their guardian. We would address what the recommendations were. The Office of Public Health would then send a letter out confirming what we told them and using their authority as public health directors to enforce that quarantine or isolation. They are taking that away. They will no longer be providing letters to families. So we have asked them for increased guidance on how to contact trace, what is our roles, what is our responsibilities. Now that's just the nurse's reaction there. What are some of the other reactions you've seen from either parents or teachers out in that area? Well, I, I think that's a, that's a great example of kind of the confusion and the shifting st- sands and how quickly things are moving. So that was on Sunday, and that, that meeting was specifically to address whether or not they should go forward with their plan to make masks optional as of January 3rd, or if they should go back to masks required. She was expressing some of her concerns, so that kind of sets up why she said that. The Montgomery County Office of Public Health is changing the way that that they do things. You know, she mentioned that they'll no longer send out the letters. Well, the county clarified that on Monday, saying you know they're working on a way to make it web based, something you know like like a form that would go out rather than that letter that was going out. And the Montgomery County Office of Public Health is. What they're trying to do, the way that they put it, I'll read directly from the email that they sent, they made this change to the contact tracing process for K-12 through schools to decrease the burden on schools while continuing to support in school education and prevention of disease spread. So the Office of Public Health is trying to make it easier on schools, and Perkiomen Valley, that's the example we're, we're talking about here, is trying to maintain that level of contact tracing, and, and, and obviously that's extremely difficult with the level of, of virus right now. And so there's kind of this, you know, like I said, this is like the great example of the fog of war where this is how rapidly things are moving, where, where school districts are like, OK, well, wait, what does this mean? And Office of Public Health is saying this and and there's still kind of a back and forth. And, you know, it's confusing to 
to school administrators, parents are just <laughs> kind of like, uh, okay, if my kid's sick, we'll stay home. But, you know, what level of sickness are you keeping your kid home and, and who's keeping their kids? So, you know, it's a long way of saying it's 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 just it's confusing for everyone. We've been back and forth through this. We're coming up on the second anniversary of this virus, really the pandemic becoming a thing here. And looking at both of you, do you have a sense over whether these districts feel more prepared to go virtual this time around as opposed to this time last year or two years ago? And Mike, I'll start with you. Well, from a practical standpoint, uh, they are only in that in the last year, pretty much every student in the school district has a Chromebook. They've been through the drill. They know that, uh, you know, it, these days, even if there's a snow day, there may not be a snow day because everyone has a Chromebook, so you can learn from home. Jim talked about the fog of war. There aren't; it's not black and white. There are no absolutes here. It's all shades of gray. You, you can't just say everybody is back in school, and we're going to have teachers in the classroom and students in the classroom, no matter what. Then, on the other hand, if if people are getting sick, you you try the, the battle that the administrators are trying to do here is to to strike a balance to try to keep kids in school, uh, but they don't want to do that at whatever cost. Yeah, I, I think that's the the priority out here at most districts. Uh, you know, it, it's impossible to speak for all districts because they're so diverse geographically and just across the board. But the the effort is to to stay in person, and that and that's why you know efforts like masks and other things are happening. Even you know Montgomery County health officials have said for for months now that you know masks aren't great. There's there's a downside to masks. You're putting kids in masks for hours and hours and hours a day. There's that's not a a risk free option. But if that's what it takes to help stay in classrooms, then then that's what we'll do. Everything that's being done right now is an effort to to avoid having to go back to that virtual. Everyone knows that that is just not ideal, you know, across the board. When you have younger kids trying to learn through a screen, you have older kids who are putting their, uh, you know, you can't force them to put their cameras on. So they're just logging in and turning off the cameras and, and doing whatever. No one wants to go back to that. It does sound like for both city of Philadelphia as well as the Philly suburbs, and that's not even to get into what's going on in New Jersey or anything, but the cause is as big of a problem as the effect. Because aside from all the issues with students, we still got staff issues happening too. What are some of the things that districts can do about potential staff shortages that we're seeing in these schools because of these the, the outbreaks and everything else? The short answer and the simple answer is to hire more people. And they've been trying to do that. And we all know that that's been difficult not only for school districts, but for every facet of our economy, right? The, the Philadelphia School District has had trouble getting enough substitute teachers in school to fill in, um, and, and they're not the only ones. But in Philadelphia, just last month, they fired the company Kelly Education Services that had been providing substitutes because uh, they weren't doing a good enough job, according to the district. The new one won't take over until next year, though. So for the short term, if there are staffing shortages in a particular school, you have teachers covering two classes or giving up their uh, their, their their prep time to, to to cover another classroom. In Philadelphia, there are central office employees who have been going out into schools to fill in, uh, but still, it, it hasn't been enough. And if I knew the answer to solving the hiring uh, uh, problem, Jay, I, I don't know that I'd be sitting here. I'd be doing a consultancy somewhere <laughs> and making lots of money. <laughs> Jim, how about in the suburbs? How is it looking out there? 
Well, in, in Pennsylvania, there there was a law that was signed in, I don't remember exactly when, recently, last month, I believe, that would lessen the re- the requirements for someone to be a substitute teacher, you know, just as an effort to find, like Mike said, I mean, that's not unique to Philadelphia, and that's not unique to, I think that's everywhere, you know, no one has the, the subs that they need, um, you know, and then, and then the changes in, in, in quarantine and the amount of time that you need to be out, you know, those things, that's, that's at a federal level, then that, that's not just unique to schools, that's everywhere is dealing with, with, with staffing shortages, uh, but there was a, a law signed in in Pennsylvania I don't know exactly if it took effect as soon as it was signed. The hope is that 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 you know lessens that burden a little bit. A lot, you know, like retired teachers, college students, or, or student teachers. Those they have some more freedom to to actually step in uh, as a sub. Uh, you know, but you, when you when you look around social media and and, and other, you, you hear students saying like, "I'm having a lot of study halls," and <laughs> that's that's not ideal either. So, but you know. That that's part of the larger question here is where do we go from here? You know, at some point we're going to have to to figure out how to live with this. One of the parts of even living with it is just going back to masks. I mean, here in the newsroom alone, I'm seeing more masks going up on people. You're seeing it back on the street. People are starting to wear masks again. And we've talked about Philly and the suburbs, but Mike also yesterday in New Jersey, Governor Phil Murphy said he hopes to extend his emergency powers over New Jersey's state mask mandate in schools. Do you think that the New Jersey legislature is going to grant this request? The short answer is I expect that they will. Democrats control the legislature in New Jersey. Uh, Steve Sweeney, the Senate president, he's still the Senate president until next week. Uh, He hasn't said one way or the other whether he would uh, support a continuation of the mask mandate in schools. Uh, But my gut feeling is that uh, the, the lawmakers will look at the landscape uh, and, and and agree that the mask mandate should continue. And we come back into Pennsylvania. Jim, you predicted from the very beginning that this whole mask debate was going to loom large in suburban school board elections in November. Now we're coming into January and we're going to start kind of seeing some of this start to play out. How is this looking out there? Yeah, I mean that wasn't <laughs> wasn't a very hard. I'm 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 not Nostradamus here. I mean that wasn't a very hard prediction to make. Uh, anybody who's who's remotely paid attention to you know any parents who who have, have followed their school board meetings knew that that was going to be an issue. So I'm not going to take too much credit for that. Uh, but but yeah, no, you're seeing you know my my district again, Perkiomen Valley, uh, voted in December when the new board that 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 won the election. Uh, won in November. One of the first things they did was lift the mask requirement as of what was supposed to be January 3rd. Uh, and then they had the emergency meeting on Sunday to, to revisit that. Uh, and without going too far into details, they kind of made a compromise where they, they set a date now of January 24th uh, and masks are required in school, but at extracurricular activities or athletic events, masks are strongly recommended, but not required. So there's kind of a compromise, a little give and take there allowing after school activities. The, the thinking being that, not everyone has to go to a, a basketball game after school. Everyone has to go to math class. So you have to wear the mask in math class. You don't have to wear it to, to the sporting event. But it, it was a very contentious meeting. So, you know, there, there's a lot of debate to be had. And everybody needs to understand that there are real human beings on both sides of this debate. And we need to, we need to have the conversation. And Montgomery County has been fantastic. The uh, Office of Public Health Medical Director, uh, Dr. Richard Lorraine, has been on our, our air several times talking about how challenging it is 
these mask mandates are not simple. It's not easy to put kids in masks. No one wants that. However, if that is saving someone's life, and, and that's not hyperbole, that's legitimate, and, and there is, whether or not people want to admit it, there is science out there that shows that masks limit the spread. They're not perfect. They're, they're one layer in, in a series of protections. And, and so that's what needs to be weighed, and we need to have that conversation. That conversation needs to happen focused on those issues and not on all the other noise. Um, you know, bad science on both sides, bad science on both sides. The conversation needs to be streamlined, and it, it's so easy uh, you know, to, to crawl into your camps. There was actually a board member uh, in Perkiomen Valley who made false statements about the Supreme Court decision and got this huge round of applause, and another board member said, this isn't a hockey game. Please stop with the applause. But that's what it felt like. You know, everyone's just, everyone's passionate about their children. I mean, we've said that so many times on this podcast. Uh, There are a few things that people are going to be more passionate about. So it's easy to forget that there's someone uh, on the other side of this, a human being and and a human life. Jay, if I might add two quick points about masking in Philadelphia schools. Uh, The first is that starting today, the Philadelphia School District says that uh, for students and staff in schools, any teacher or student who will not wear a mask will be sent home. Uh, That's a a strict enforcement of the rule that's been in place, but the district says it's going to start enforcing that strictly starting today. We haven't heard of anybody being sent home yet, but of course we'll follow up on that. and the second point is we talk about masks, but the teachers union is concerned about what kind of masks. When I talked with Jerry Jordan, the head of the PFT yesterday, he says with, uh, especially with Omicron, Omicron out there and how transmissible it is, kids and teachers shouldn't be mandated to wear cloth masks or paper masks. They should have to wear N95 masks that make sure that the virus isn't is not being transmitted uh, as much as possible. So I just wanted to add those two quick points there. This has become a way of life over two years. It feels like we're going around in circles with this. And I know with the work that Jim's been doing, that that Mike, you've been doing, that Pat's been doing covering stuff with the city, and we're all over this. When you hear about things like remote learning coming back and thinking about how this has just kind of thrown schools into the blender one more time. What goes through your head when you hear this, and what dominoes do you think need to fall into place to get kids back in school with some sort of certainty, maybe not a lot, that it's going to be relatively safe for them to do so? Well, I think that, I mean, it's not universal yet, but uh, having vaccines for young children, have them uh, uh, vaccinated, I mean, that'd be maybe the first domino to, to fall because the the learning loss that we've been reporting on, educators don't like to use that phrase, but uh, there is certainly a literal learning loss and emotional learning loss that's been happening to all of us over the last two years, but especially students who were in classrooms, they're going to need to find a way to to make this up, to fill that void in their lives somehow. So they're going to need to be back in the classroom in some way with as much mitigation as possible. So the, the other dominoes would be all of the stuff that you need to do to keep kids in the classrooms in school. And Jim? I don't want to completely discount the variant. Obviously, there there is a different uh, way that, that this variant acts, but I also think we need to take into account human behavior. 
And and one of the positives that we're seeing from studies is uh, a lot of people are vaccinated. A lot of people have natural immunity from being in, infected within the past six months. And then, you know, there's also the, the possibility that, that the, this variant behaves differently. It doesn't go into the lungs as much. It stays more uh, in, in the nose and throat, which prevents uh, the, the more serious disease. So, you know, is this the beginning of a shift to living with this, that it is, you know, more of a flu type where it gets you and it gets you sick, but it's not the, the killer necessarily that, that we, we've seen it been over the past uh, couple of years. And, and is that, you know, as Mike said, now that every school age child is eligible for vaccine uh, and we've seen millions and millions of children get vaccinated with, with minimal, if any, uh, health issues as we get more vaccine, as we get more natural immunity, I, I think that we're going to have to be more comfortable with this virus being in the background. And we're going to have to ease restrictions. And again, we're going to see in the next few days what hospitalization rates look like from these case counts. And look, the, the law of numbers is when you have a lot of one thing, you're going to have more of the other thing. So you have a lot of cases, you're going to naturally have more hospitalizations. And that's an unfortunate side of it, but it's not the same percentage. And that was the, that's been the concern to this point is the, the high percentage of hospitalizations and deaths that come with these cases. So I really think it just comes down to, we're just going to have to learn, you know, we're just going to have to get to that endemic stage and deal with it. And, and, you know, again, we, we say it so many times, the health experts, not me, the health experts say, you know, vaccination is the key here. I know that we have talked a lot about this pandemic. Is there anything else that you gentlemen are keeping an eye on aside from the ongoing pandemic? Mike, I'll start with you. Well, I was. This is actually a pandemic-related thing. Sorry, but it, 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 one of the things I was keeping an eye on was the uh, the projection of when this current surge will peak, uh, and we probably only have maybe another week or week and a half, according to New Jersey Health Commissioner Judy Persichelli, who said in the governor's news conference yesterday that uh, they predict a, a, a peak in cases of. Well, she didn't give a number of cases, but she said the date will be January 14th, something like that, when the when the this surge will peak and the hospitalization rate could top the all time record that New Jersey had back in April of 2020, which was like 8300 people in the hospital. She said it could go as 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 high as 9000 Um but all that is to say that the experts are predicting a peak here. Um, so maybe there is a light at the end of the tunnel, although we have to go through some of the train smoke to see <laughs> exactly how bright that light's going to be. How's that for a metaphor? <laughs> that's a, it's, one, it's certainly one way to think about it. You never know if that's a light or if it's an oncoming train. <laughs> and, exactly. And Jim, how about you? Yeah, just a, a, a the same stuff we've been talking about, just a lot of trying to sort through this, you know, what, what is policy, what are, how are schools handling this, how's, how are counties handling this, what should parents be doing? You know, again, going back to a, a story that we did a while ago about, you know, the, the immunosuppressed, and that's such a, a broad phase, but especially, you know, the group that I'm involved with quite a bit is, is Gift of Life and Organ Donation. Um, and, and organ recipients have to take medicine to keep their immune systems from attacking the organ that they got. And that can keep them from mounting a response to an, an immune response 
even with vaccination. So, you know, there's, there's more talk about boosters um, and what can we do as a community to help protect those people and how much can they expect us to keep restricting things to protect them? So, you know, no, again, there's no easy answer. Like Mike said, nothing, nothing in this is black and white. And as, as even though a lot of people want to simplify it to black and white, it's not, there's so much nuance. There's so much, there's so much gray here. And, and again, I think everyone just needs to remember that there's a human being uh, on the other side of the argument. And, and if we could, if we could get over that, maybe we could get somewhere. The word nuance there is doing a lot of work and it needs to, because that's really what we need in a lot of things these days is there's so much nuance and so much added to everything we've got going on. Gentlemen, thank you so much for coming on podcast with us. Mike, how can people check out the work that you're doing? Of course, 103.9 FM, or you can hit me up on Twitter at underscore Mike DiNardo. And Jim, how about you? <laughs> I would say Twitter, but I just said nothing is black and white and everything is nuanced. So don't <laughs> just don't go on Twitter. Just stay away from Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> the Bird app doesn't know a whole lot about nuance. I totally get that. Jim Melwert, our Suburban Bureau Chief, and our Education Reporter Mike DiNardo taking care of all things in the city of Philadelphia, as well as in the state of New Jersey. Thank you so much. Both of you for coming on and joining us today on The Rundown, which is a production of KYW News Radio Original Podcast. The show is produced by Sabrina Boyd Serka and Brian Seltzer. The director of podcasting for KYW News Radio is Tom Rickert. I'm Jay Scott Smith. You can follow me on Twitter at Jay Scott Smith. That's real Jay Scott Smith on Instagram and Facebook. You can hear me every afternoon on KYW News Radio starting at 3 p.m. for Philadelphia's afternoon news. You also got to be sure to follow The Rundown on Twitter at The Rundown. PHL. You can listen to us for free right here on the Odyssey app or just about wherever you get your podcasts. We want to thank you for checking out this Tuesday edition of The Rundown.